want us to wait or? Rochester, RIT sort of approach, I should act as 
say, and I said, I'd love to have a job. And I've left. Only it's in Rochester. I want to get a job. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to do die transfers. Well, anyway, we know all the die transfers. Die transfers? I haven't done it. Alright, I'm going to move this a little faster, I think. Okay. I'm trying to explore color and motion. These are very artificial range now for this, you know, this lecture. I did not go out and photograph them. Normally I'd go out and photograph. I just go out and photograph like any other photographer. Sure. Non-commercial. This is another one of these. Uh, is that a JML? That interests me more than the other one. That's all right. I mean, there were, sure. there were hundreds of them. <laughs> I couldn't care less. You know, I was excited that I was getting in there and doing color photography. And Stryker, you know, kept, well, back to the Standard Oil thing, he, uh, he was convinced. But he, he then, you know, called on me, and not much. I went and photographed there with four strokes and stopped the, this was part of that series I did a full fight. This is part of the downtown city. From 52, 53? 50 I think so. I know Now, this was published in life as part of the last picture of it, or one of it. Um, what this is, is coming out of a train from Milwaukee. This is what you saw for 10 seconds. Now that's going beyond that other thing. Life was considering, Charlie Tudor, the art director, was considering running a big 20 page or so art on the color things later on. Then there was some son of a bitch that was a picture editor. Who then later went to work in Washington and was a picture editor for a year. I didn't like him, he was not pleased about me. And so he didn't, they finally didn't run it. But it was written in a hairbrush, it was laid out. It would have changed the whole course of color photography. See, and I like the way this made space, color space. These are different. Like an atmosphere light. Another person that used to come to the bottles, I must say, was Stanley Hader, the printmaker. He then had the great atelier in Paris after World War II. And things like this were sort of common place in the air in the late 40s. Yeah. This is part of that photograph in four days of the pool. It's all the same thing. You're looking at the same damn thing. It's the motion and the light of the day. And that's what I'm saying. See, that's what was, that was the normal thing. Well, that's outside of Copenhagen, someplace. Where all those buildings are collected. That's standard oil.
To really, see, I'm so intrigued because everybody has talked my whole life about seeing and believing, you know, photography is true and so on. And I, I've made so many pictures that absolutely are the totally opposite. You can't believe it, you don't know what you're looking at, and yet it's there. But not mystical. You know, I'm not a minor white, you know, bores the shit out of me. All that stuff is just crap. Yes, but it just comes, I'm thinking you're a positive Bauhaus student. Oh, I am. But I am also a healthy American. Yeah, but I, the only thing, I mean... I'm not mystical, but there was a big streak of mysticism in the Bauhaus, which you don't know about, probably. Yeah, in terms of Eton, but... In terms yeah. of Eton, in terms of Lundgren, in terms of Kandinsky, Kandinsky was a full-blown mystic. But I was speaking now about Moholy and about the... Moholy believed in astrology. See, I believe in none of that. You know, what I mean is the, the good... I'm of Freud, as well as the vows. And also, you know, healthy Jewish. Come on, what you just said. What I want to say is that this good basic thing on Bauhaus, working in one in one and in different mediums and the way that you work something out to understand the medium, to understand the possibility, what can you do with the medium. Mm -hmm. I think that, I mean, that's one attempt which was a really important thing worked out during the Bauhaus. Right, but I think I go beyond that. Yeah, I believe, yeah, I you know, I believe in poetry, and sex, and you know, emotions. And like can do. I think you ought to know how to paint. You're going to be a painter and a photographer. By God, you ought to know how to look at it. And furthermore, unlike, say, Ansel Adams, who's totally naive psychologically, I am not. When I gave a, gave a lecture on Ansel Adams, some of his lovers were furious at what I was reading out of his pictures. I gave something that nobody's done in these five lectures. I did three lectures, psychological interpretation of Stieglitz, Weston, Ansel Adams, Walker Evans. <laughs> I love this. See, that pleases me, no man. And did it at the time. Is it a hole? No. Is it something black lying there? And I just like the color. I love that black. That's the blackest black I was ever able to get. That's D Max for me. Color. I like this one. It's full of illusion. Oh, there she is. Same. I love this one. See what the color does. You see what's going on there? They're both in the same plane. And no matter how you try, the dark one is in front of the other one. And you can't do anything. You can tell yourself, you know, what I'm seeing them both in the same plane, they're in the same plane. Your perception is different. You know.
to long before the stuff came off the table.
She's mad at me, which says something about photographers and you know, photography and the people who photograph. You know, I'm scared to get That's part of the thing. Yeah. 
tear down. Such a good nature person. I mean, I've had more, you know, anything you want from all she can get for Gary. And uh, she's a great earth mother. I think the last woman subject like that will be Edith Gallon. And then after that. Uh, no way. She's uptight. I oh, mean, everybody is so sick and tired of seeing her dress that I think they'll throw up if they ever <laughs> see another one. I mean, she's serious about it. And like their important Eleanor, who never gave that feeling. Well, she's just there. Very different. She's very. But what, so what I was going to say was, after the generation of Edith, no one will stand to be photographed so much as objects anymore. And you can see that already in Edith. I mean, that she feels the need to do something, as opposed to just... Well, I think they're both very pretentious. I mean, she is very... She's, she's, she's trying to get in history. These pictures are taken, as you know, we take a picture. So I was shooting one for, you know, the tenth of a second, can't tell. That's another thing. We used the tripod, so that is grand. Just I can see it. It's a Some of them are just uh, reproductions like that. This was, I was pleased in the Whitney show. There was one from way back in the 30s, another one, I uh, can't remember. One, the color thing. And the third one, I can't remember what it was, but there are three different periods of one period. These are early photographs. They're different than Man Ray or, you know, some similar in the whole some. Now this is the kind of, this, I even know I can't fake this, but the date's in the picture. That's why I made this slide, 1938, I think. And it's for Life Magazine. It's a photograph. I was doing a job. It's November 20th, 1939. Uh, um, Father Coughlin, you know, the American fascist in Royal Oak. And I got chased by his police dogs and kicked out. But this is one of his followers. Now, that shows that I was a very competent technical photographer. This is one of my famous pictures. That picture's been reproduced when I last counted 80 million times. It was at a strike meeting taken at the Chrysler automobile workers, and I sold it many, many times over, including one time in Chrysler, they used it in an ad 
talking about happy Chrysler, happy tire owners. And I'm showing you this because the intent of the photographer, you see, can so easily be perverted. And these photographers who also won't say anything about the picture except, well, it's all in the picture. That's nonsense, too. Anyway, kind of marvelous picture. This was a full page of Life magazine. I went up to some place, and that's Chief Tecumseh, famous Indian chief. And I hired that guy to put the bones together because they were transferring the bones from one location to another, to rebury them. This guy's an osteopath, and he assembled the bones incorrectly. If you look carefully, those are his hip bones up there instead of his shoulder bones. And Mike Magazine ran it as a full page. He's got thousands of letters telling him how stupid they were. And I didn't know. I mean, I'm a photographer. These are the kind of things. You want to know what I was doing in the 30s. Well, this was a girlfriend of mine, too. Uh, I, I like girls. I've always liked women. Um, and she was modern and she was like that. And uh, very bright. And uh, I photographed. I usually photograph the people that I love. And she was the greatest woman in the Lower East Side. She was president and she was on the head of committees endless. And she was younger than we all together. And I said, I knew that. I write it down. But she didn't write it down because I wasn't home when she came and she left a package of cookies. And that was that. And then another picture of this woman with a shawl. Pointing woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know and then a woman called up, that was two, three years ago, when it wasn't really good in the statement. And she said, the model, the picture hangs too high, but I'm sure that this is my grandmother. Can I have a print? And I said, are you sure it is your grandmother? Go to the uh, curator and say the picture is too high and ask for a letter. <laughs> and then she said, yes, it is my grandmother. And then I sent her a print. And she wrote, and I have this letter somewhere. And she wrote, thank you for this marvelous thing. My grandmother was a great woman. She came from Romania and she had I didn't 
really showed the pictures that I've taken. But it wasn't, it really wasn't followed with being rather nice then. That's all that I knew, the fact that, you know, students will, women students will allow themselves to be photographed by, you know, met fellow students and then show the pictures of them. That still boggles my mind. You know, and they don't think anything. Uh, anyway, these are the things I'm doing in the 30s that were considered as being serious. Yeah. That one prize in the photo building. And certainly a lot different from what they were doing. But that, that was about that time, too. Well, the, the interest in white is just, this is one of my parts of film pictures. Faded, it's always faded. The process or after. That's why I took the OWI, of the best in character. Mm -hmm. That's from the US camera, annual. Because I was an OWI in 42 3, so if we have to be asked. I'll leave you money, it's worth it. Well, it was taken, I know, in 43.
pink sky. Today, when first, it's so important, you know, that kind of thing. It's funny, but it is interesting that you pin in other people's lives. I think that's one of the things. <laughs> but that's my surreal thing. And I'm not nasty like uh, I think these pictures are all that. I think it's very brutal. But I like the stuff in Vietnam that he did. I mean, the Vietnam pornography series. I don't know. Are those new? No. <clears throat> they were done about that time. They were sort of still. Uh, uh, of all the pictures that were regarding the See, I was able to be friends with those movies. These are the things that I'm really currently working on. These are earlier. Beaumont had a big batch of them. One of them articles had them for a year. Uh, an art historian at St. Louis wrote a long thing after Leonard White asked me for something published in Aperture. He was in such a hurry to be going to photostats. I did that, and then Michael Hoffman said, no. Uh, back. But the last time I was there, I thought, you uh, you see cytograms which have to do with non-fixed images. Uh, you ever seen these? Okay. No. I mean, I saw a word like this. But not by Where? you. Then by Where? You. In Germany. Yeah. There's a group which is called Generative Photography. And they work like this. Well, these are all have means of now the ones that are very three-dimensional three-dimensional. That's a whole series of things where I play with images that you can't fix. You can remember what the image was like, but you can't remember the image. There's no way to do it.
those work only to look at. So that's another batch of variety. Now it was a friend of mine, his name was Jack Chaffetz. And uh, so he simply pulled my card out and put it in the base photo. And that was that. So then I, I uh, mopped floors for five months because the people that were in charge of the photo thing uh, were old army people, staff sergeants, and they sat on their ass and did nothing and occasionally took a picture. And the warrant officer, ex-warrant officer, who was uh, in charge of the lab, uh, knew very little about it. And uh, I kept loaning him money until I got the 300 bucks. And then I got on flying status, and I started taking pictures. And I was very valuable. I then proceeded to do most of the work there, and rested here. And so I took aerial photographs. I was on flying status, and, which gave me extra pay. And uh, did a lot of work for General O'Neill, who was in charge of the whole operation. Lots of publicity pictures, ranging from pinup pictures for the camp, to the newspaper, to things that we distribute to, you know, all over the world. And uh, did jobs like photographing uh, where guys, uh, you know, plowed a hole in when they dove into the ground, had to make an accident report. So that got a little boring, and there. I did some visual education things there. There was a visual education unit. But <clears throat> finally I said, uh, I, the colonel of the field then was another friend of mine, and I said, if there's ever something that requires some high skills, uh, let me know. So they came a directive, a secret directive. They wanted people who worked in the Pentagon, the Assistant Chief Air Staff Intelligence Office. Shit. Did color photography for General for Arnold? For General Arnold, right. They searched out me, and I did color portraits of General Arnold, and I thought uh, <clears throat> I would be relieved of some of the stuff I was doing, printing uh, aerial maps, and um, they had flown back, uh, um, you know, pictures that they'd taken of Japan and make maps and that kind of thing. But that also, they weren't using me properly. And the place was loaded with all kinds of crooks. The lockers were filled with hams. We were on rationing there, and the officers were stealing hams and whatnot. So I decided to go back to Chinoot if I could. I asked my this colonel friend to get me back. He did. And then I went back and started training officers as photo officers who had been returned uh, combat officers. And earlier, I'd forgotten that I had taught a great number of women uh, to be photographers. When they finished my course, they became sergeants automatically, and I was still an acting corporal. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I went back to the Chanute and then began to do a lot of my own work, multiple exposures, printing negatives together uh, in the Army, in the Air Corps labs. And then I also had a studio in Chanute at uh, 
from Champagne. A friend of mine and I got to a place that we actually had a studio and I used to photograph there. And, uh, it was kind of nice. And when the war was you know, beginning to wind down, that was 1945. And finally, I in the fall of uh, 45, they had a point system and I was approaching the number of points that I needed to get out. And I went down to Chicago, I'd seen the whole a number of times, and, I, and Christmas Day, or the day before Christmas, I can't remember, uh, I went to see Maholi, and uh, he, uh, we had talked earlier about coming to teach, and he was painting on a painting called The Ovals, and uh, he asked me if I would come and organize the uh, two-year photography course. There was no photography course there. Now, how long had Henry Holmes Smith, was he still there? Oh, no, no, I don't think Henry was there. I, I'm not sure Henry even was there after the first, that first uh, year. I never heard of Henry. I don't think so. And during the first year, what has he done there? I mean, what was his... He was just an assistant to Capish. Yeah. He had had some... I can't remember whether it was photographing an experience or something. He knew a little bit. You know, that Maholi existed. But he was there to learn. Was he American? Who, Henry? Yeah. As far as I know. Oh, yeah. okay. um, then, uh, well, I met Maholi there. He was working and uh, we had dinner and he asked me to uh, uh, organize this thing. Now, there have been people teaching there, and I can get to that, but there was no course of study, and there were beginning to be the great outpouring of veterans, you see. And it looked like an opportunity. They wanted to study photography, a lot of them. Both men and women, they were whacks, you see, they were coming out. And they had educational benefits, and the school desperately had been in desperate straits all during the war, because everybody was away. So suddenly they began to pour out. Schools all over the place, you must vocational schools, private schools, all began to expand. So I said, yes, I would take this job, <clears throat> and I think he offered me uh, $4,200. So uh, one uh, February, I went back, and then I had a furlough, and I went back to Detroit, and, and I guess it was about the second week in February, I came back, and I found that I was I could get out if I went up to Fort Sheridan. Uh, they would discharge me. So I left Chinook Field without even signing the register, so they owed me two months' pay still. And I went to Sheridan on a Friday, and then Monday I went to work. And I lived with a man named Crombie Taylor, who was then Holy's assistant, assistant director, and looked around, and the place for photography was really in a shambles. The equipment was one or two broken down four by five cameras. They were absolutely decrepit. Um, Maholi's had an old tropical Soho reflex camera that they use occasionally. And they be, usually gave, they always gave a pinhole problem. It took about six or six to ten weeks. They plotched around with this pinhole camera. They made it and they took pictures with it. And it was a time killer after they made photograms of the transition was to go to, you know, to the pinhole camera. And there were two guys teaching there, one Frank Levstick, who had been a commercial photographer, 
And uh, uh, Frank Tilka, who was a, a chemist, and they had been, well, they had been using them during the war. They came very cheaply. And, uh, Lastic had had a lot of commercial experience. And, uh, One question, Lastic didn't study at the New Bowers. No. Not that I know of. I mean, he was an older man, an older commercial photographer. A man of goodwill, but rather confused to me. And uh, the student body was all kinds of students, mainly older students and some high school students. But they were a rough lot. I mean, they had been through the war and they didn't want any nonsense. So it was a very rough period. And uh, as the, uh, very quickly, I wanted to do a uh, what are now called workshops or seminars. I wanted to do a thing of pulling everybody together that I knew, sort of uh, do two things. One, bring attention to the what was then called the School of Design. And uh, uh, and also to see myself what was going on. So I organized the a thing called the New Vision of Photography. That was in the summer of 1946. And Moholy had nothing to do with it excepting to approve it, contrary to anything that you may read or hear. I noticed an article in Popular Photography on Moholy talked about the, the, uh, that event and described it to Moholy. Moholy was dying of leukemia and very little energy and constantly went to the hospital. Was deathly ill all the time, and I used to pick him up and bring him to school. The holy, the photogram on the cover of the announcement is by Arthur Siegel. The typography of that announcement is by Arthur Siegel because Maholi made me do it. I didn't want to do it. He said, "You do it." He said, "No, you can do it." I did it by looking things. He proved it. He sent that out, and I, you know, I invited Beaumont Newall, Roy Stryker, Erwin Blumenfeld. Paul Strand, Bernice Abbott, Ouija, probably the first time Ouija was ever invited to an academic thing. And it was the first workshop seminar that was ever held in the United States. Blumenfeld. What was your Earl contact? Blumenfeld. Yeah, okay. What was your contact with Blumenfeld? He was a friend of mine, a man who I admired as being an experimental photographer, and who had another view on the bows in Germany. I had met him in New York when I went there when I was in the Air Corps in Washington. I used to go down to New York. I helped Paul Strand hang his show. Paul was an old friend of mine, so I helped him hang his show. But I met Blumenfeld, who I had known admired his pictures, because he was the only experimental photographer. Well, what I, I wanted to do with this seminar or workshop was to, you know, bring together a lot of things. And my overall thing were two. One, I well, there were several things I wanted to do. One was to bring together American straight photography, Weston and the Adams, and that whole tradition of Western straight photography, which was non-experimental, was the experimental tradition of the Bauhaus that's constituted by people like Mahomi Nagy, the tradition of Ranger Potts that I knew, the documentary tradition of the Farm Security Administration that I'd worked for, which was not the aspect of the Bauhaus. It was not in the new Bauhaus. It was not in the school design. And so, because I myself had these many interests, I wanted to bring them together into a new kind of photographic education. And the 
primary purpose was to produce, well, there were several purposes. One was to produce really elegantly, intensively trained photographers who had this surrounding background of typography, economics, psychology, so that the photographer is no longer a dopey craftsman, but an educated man. And two, I wanted to produce photographers who could teach on the college level. I had some experience, and I knew there wasn't any, and there wasn't interest growing. And in Faulkner, Ray Faulkner's book, uh, New Art in America, or New Art Education, I got a copy somewhere. Uh, if photography was just beginning to get into the college level, but there wasn't anybody to teach it except the, you know, commercial photographers, essentially. So that was a major conscious objective of mine. Moly agreed to it, but all of this credit going to Moly is total nonsense. Moly was dying. Uh, so, went through that semester and saw I needed other kinds of teachers than Lepstick. And uh, I, that spring, uh, I went over and I kept in touch with Harry and Todd. And Todd had come back, had been in the Seabees for around four years. He was in New York. He was very successful. He was a friend of Mary Callery, Beaumont Newall. He had a big show, all those returning things. And then he had another show of um, black churches of Chicago. And he, he was a very, he was a well-known guy. Harry went, quit his job at, at where he'd been working during the war. Harry was excused from the thing because theoretically he had an ulcer. He never shown any sign of an ulcer since he you know, passed that exam. Uh, but anyway, he quit his job at General Lord, went to New York, and came back totally defeated. And he was in Detroit. He and Elmer had rented a cheap uh, basement apartment in Lepain, and I came over there my car, picked up Harry, took him back to Moholy, who had never heard Harry Harry keeps saying until recently that it's in the last publication he finally said that I was the one that brought him. But all these years he's been saying, Maholi, Iron, just as he said, you know, that Beaumont um, Hansel, you know, was the real reason <coughs> for him being the you know, realize the photography, which is totally untrue. Harry comes, okay, you bring Harry and when? The reason I want to say that is because Stieglitz played a great role in Harry's life. If you look at Harry's pictures, you'll see it. Only Harry's never mentioned, never mentioned Stieglitz, he never mentions me. Um, I'm laying this all out. You don't have to believe any of it. Um, anyway, I went and got Harry, introduced him to Moholy. Mahali was very skeptical about Harry, but because I wanted him, he said, okay. And so this is fall of September 46? No, the spring of 46, okay. yeah. Then I had the seminar all during the summer of 46. Harry comes over, he sits there, he does not participate. But everybody else comes, and the first week Mahali is on the program. I pick him up, take him home, pick him up, take him home. He is real sick. We, we talk about it, but he doesn't participate in anything. And then in the afternoons, I have a whole series of motion pictures, things that I um, arranged. And by that time, we had moved in from Oak Street over to 632 North Dearborn, which is a historical building, and the place is a wreck. 
but we got some darkrooms going. People use that. And uh, mainly, however, people that come there were not their regular students. They were people that came from outside and some regular students. And uh, it was fascinating. And Luigi comes and I arrange for him a photograph of murder in Lincoln Park, which then makes life so you can check it. Speaking of pictures, there's a Ouija uh, shows how to photograph a murder, which was my thought. I also had everybody <coughs> photographing a young lady that I was in love with named Barbara, and uh, who I married the next year. So Paul Strand photographed Barbara and Ouija and Beaumont uh, Newall and everybody, Blumenfeld. Then later on, after the thing was over, Mahoney wanted to get some publicity, and he sends them to off to a guy named, he asked if he could borrow him. Sends them off to a guy named Robert Marks, who used to write for Cornette, the little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they disappear. And what happened? He, I've never corresponded with him. He insisted that he didn't have them. But those would have been an absolutely valuable thing, because everyone that was there photographed Barbara. Barbara, I then married the next year. And uh, uh, anyway, the, the seminar was a great success. Um, Harry then begins to teach. We both begin to teach, uh, and uh, that fall, and I begin. I've begun to rearrange the program in the spring, but then go at it really intensively. Harry has some input. I change and rationalize the whole program and make the program. I had promised Maholi that I would stay, that I would make a two-year course and a four-year course. Well, Maholi gets very ill then. Well, that September, he begins to get very ill. Uh, I see him, but he's, he's really a very sick man. And earlier, at the time I first saw Maholi at the Christmas, I told him that I would come to the school if he would give me that painting he was working on, and I would pay him my severance pay. I had $300 coming from the Army for being in two and a half years or whatever it was. And he <laughs> says, okay. And that's how we sealed the pack. He gave me that drawing, which I'll show you, the pastel drawing. Um, well, that fall, I, I moved into a place of my own, an apartment, and I wanted my painting back. And I kept asking him, well, like, over the summer, where was my painting? He says, oh, it's out on display. And, uh, fine. So, I got this apartment, and I asked him, oh, I said, I really want my painting. He says, Arthur, I must confess, I sold your painting. He had sold my painting to the Guggenheim. And if you look, you'll see that sketch, and when you go to the Guggenheim, you to see the whole, if you find that painting, and Sybil, after he died, felt so guilty, she gave me an alternate version of that. I'm telling you this because there, there was another side of Maholi that, you know, was never discussed. He was rather devious. Uh, you know, there were all these jokes about Hungarians. Uh, Maholi was Hungarian. Uh, I personally like Maholi very much. There are a lot of people who dislike could you say something about the program you set up for the two and four years? Right. We had very few people for the four-year program. That was a longer-term thing. <clears throat> the two-year program, 
something that was meant to take care of these people who were already older and get them out. Uh, the program was never meant to be a fixed thing, as people indicated. As a teacher, I always try to sense what my students were doing. That is, I did not have a Beaux-Arts kind of mentality. They were adjusted to what, what they were psychologically, where they were. But they were a combination of experimental events, you know, problems. There were always problems. There never was, it was never said after I got there, go photograph what you want. It was always a problem that was open-ended. My problems always consisted of probably two areas that were closed and one that was open. Namely, if you gave a technical problem, then you could do anything you want in terms of what you photograph with that particular technique. If it was a subject matter problem, you could do it in any kind of a technique that you wanted, and so on. There was always some parameters that were closed and some that were open, so that you never knew. See, this was totally different than Ohio. Ohio's teaching. They knew the answers to the problems before they began. They gave problems, too. Talk about Ohio's teaching at that time. Who was there teaching? What kind of program was there? Well, the, I am not too sure now. Uh, okay. The time gets a little mixed up. But I think uh, Clarence White Jr. was there. I think there was a woman there who taught, she may have been later, I think she was later, taught portrait in a very conventional way. And then immediately in the 50s, one of my students went there. I got a job there. Who is Harold Allen? Walter Allen. I made a mistake last night. Harold Allen is here and I condensed them, you know, made the psychological condensation. Um, and Walt Allen went there, and he brought our kind of teaching there. Walt talks in monotone. He's already retired two years. I'm yet to get a sabbatical. <laughs> uh, well, there are kind I have of one last backtrack question. Yeah. Up until London, every time the Holy goes someplace, he photographs. I mean, the trips to Scandinavia, he photographs yeah. Marseille, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. Goes to England and he does two documentary books, one right. about Eaton, the other about London. Comes to well, Chicago. Well, he, he does one on Oxford and he does one on Cambridge. Are you aware of that? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. He comes to Chicago. He never photographs again? Oh, yes. In fact, Arthur Siegel prints a lot of his pictures. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about <coughs> cameraless images. I'm talking about. No, no, I'm talking him. about photographs. He photographs blacks. He's quite taken with as most foreigners are. Um, Were these images published? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I have one with black that I printed for him that he signed. I have somewhere here. You can see them. In fact, I don't even know where they are. I think I know where they About seven images of the Holy. Collaborated on making some photograms for industrial purposes, which my name was never connected with, but we did them together. Uh, these were covers of magazines and things. And uh, he doesn't photograph very much. He's too ill. Earlier, 
make some experimentation with color, filters crossing each other. That was what was very fascinating to him. You know, the fact, uh, which is interesting, he wasn't even aware of it, then, I think, consciously. It was the same damn thing that all the constructors did in painting, and what he was doing in his painting. Where two areas cross, you know, you get a third tone. And Mahali painted those kind of things. But then he, with photography, he was able to see it and photograph it. He did some of those things. I think with actual color, if I remember correctly. In this country? Yeah, in this country. You know what's happened to them? No idea. No idea. When Mahali died, a lot of the things were stolen by students, teachers, and uh, civil. You know, was taking care of everything theoretically, and uh, I never knew exactly what Sybil got or anything. At that time, I was so involved in my own things, really, and had so much work to do, uh, and was upset by losing Mahoney, who was my very important to me. And the school was, you know, powerhouse of conflicted personalities, and power struggles. Um, like Nathan Lerner, for instance, keeps saying he was dean. Yeah, he was a dean. Dean of what? Absurd. 